Praise the Lord, if you will, and you're not standing yet. Point, after you've stood, point your hands in this direction. Would you offer a prayer for the Word? Father, the song has glorified your Word and your name. God, the worship has glorified your name and your Son, yourself, and the Holy Spirit, all three in one. Now we come to the Word, God, and I ask that you would glorify yourself through the Word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters and everyone in this house today. And God, we rely upon the fresh anointing of God, the revelation of His presence, to do with the Word what you alone can do, the power of the Word that has changed our lives. May it happen again. And if you agree, say amen. Usually it's a custom for me to have you stand for the Word, but I'm going to have you sit because I'm going to refer to, to several different scriptures. If you're seated now, they are in keeping with the Word as it relates to the subject for today. We're making an adjustment with our sound system and our new soundboard. We have given the existing soundboard to the youth facility starting this week. We're transitioning with a new board for this facility that will go into the other. So please... Uh, treat our sound people and media people really well because it's new to them and I appreciate your accommodations as we transition even in things like parking and other kinds of things that make our church a better church for the things that we do. Thank you, Pastor Chad. The the first of several reference, and I'm just going to have them on the screen for you because I'm going to move through them as a foundation for what I'd like you to have from the Word today is in keeping with this third lesson in a series of lessons I began entitled Counterfeit Christianity. And today I want to ask and answer the question, is the Bible the Word of God? And I I want to do that because true Christianity bases everything it believes and teaches on the Bible. And if we say we are Christians, then... We understand that real Christianity is characterized by abiding in the Word of God. And John, and it's not on the screen, just leave it there if you will, Rachel, where it is now. Let me just quote John 15 and 7 for it says, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatsoever you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, let me read these verses about the Word and then we'll move on. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Everybody is a product of what they believe. We behave according to what we believe. Whether we hear it from a politician, a preacher, or a mama. We behave according to what we believe. 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, implying the woman of God also, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then there is another verse, if you will, in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
verse 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Say amen, somebody. Knowing that what we believe dictates how we behave, I proceed to ask the question, is the Bible the Word of God? Because many are asking that question. Believing that the Bible is the Word of God is a big problem for many people. You hear such comments as, I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God any more than I believe this morning's newspaper is. Both people say the Bible and newspapers were written by men who can and do make mistakes. Besides, at least today's newspaper can be verified by present-day witnesses and can be corroborated by existing evidence. The question for many in the world about the Bible is, why should I believe a book that is 2,000 years old? To many non-Christians... The Bible is no more than an antiquated collection of myths and fables. To others, the Bible is a good book, but not God's book. On the other hand, two billion people, two billion people, roughly one-third of the world's population, claim to believe in the God of this book and to believe that It is the very book that God wrote. Even the men who wrote the Bible believed that they were writing the Word of God. Again, the question, how can we know if the Bible is God's Word? A book truly written by God Himself should bear certain verifying marks and evidence that confirms a divine imprint in its content. Whoever authors a book will either deliberately or otherwise impose themselves in that book, either directly or by their interpretation of its content. We know that God will be judged by His words just as we are judged by our words. We choose to believe God on whether or not we believe His words are credible. So I want to give you at least four reasons, solid reasons, for believing that the Bible is God's very Word. And most of what I'll do is, will be in teaching format, so uh, you might expect an interjection of a whoop glory, but I'm going to try to contain myself. Do a little teaching. One of the distinctive marks, a little more monitor here, guys, it's, it's not as strong. One of the distinctive marks of a true believer is their love for and obedience to the Word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, now here I can do a little preaching. I'm going to try to hold it down. In America, and in Christian America, we are good at quoting the Word. We are good at posting the Word. We are good at framing it in a nice 
frame and putting it on our walls. We are good at adding a few scriptures, references to the end of our comments. We are good at wearing the word around our neck in the jewelry form or on a t-shirt. But in Christian politically correct America, we lack a lot about doing the word. If you love me, keep my commandments. A true Christian, James said in the book by his name, will not only be a hearer of the word. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. That's where the power is. Oh, now I do feel a whipwreck. Occasionally, I have need for a prescription. And I go to the pharmacist after the doctor writes the prescription. You know, they used to write it and hand it to you before they called it in. And some of the doctors used to write it in a different language like maybe, yeah, Latin, right? And some, some guy figured out what it is, what they were writing on your prescription. Because when you left the doctor's office, you know, it, the doctor's visit cost quite a bit financially. So the doctor wrote something, you took it to the pharmacist. Somebody said that what they wrote to the pharmacist says, I got mine, now you get yours. And I apologize to my doctors who are here. And, uh, that's not really what it is, but thank you. Just a little light humor here. <laughs> I can go to the pharmacist and get my prescription. But if I take it home and never open it and take it according to its prescribed uh, recommendation, it's not going to do me any good. I can tell my wife I got a prescription. I can show it to my kids. I can have Prissy, my poodle, smell it. But unless I consume what is given to me, I cannot expect any change in my body. So it is with the Word of God. Oh, you can have a family Bible. You can have all versions of the Bible. You can have your Bible on your cell phone and on your computer and in your palm and in your iPad. But David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. I got it in me that I might not sin against God. Give the Lord some praise here. So I come, I've come to tell you that, that the Word of God is historically reliable. Now, let me, let me set a little scenario for you very quickly. What would happen if you chose ten different people from the same city to write a book about one controversial topic, such as the meaning of life? Now, if you'll add these parameters to these people, the ten that you choose, make sure that they share the same culture, the same educational level, and the same language, they all speak the same language, but then you separate them from one another and never allow them to speak to each other. What are the chances that what they wrote would be in total agreement about the meaning of life? We know the chances of that happening would be zero. But now imagine this, if you will. Imagine a book that is actually 66 books in one. Written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different writers 
living on three different continents, Europe, Africa, and Asia, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, on many controversial topics, if you will, yet all concentrating on one basic theme and all being in perfect agreement in their theological conclusion. That is the Bible. Would you expect there to be literary symmetry from beginning to end with the last book being written well over a thousand years after the first one? Consider this, if you will. Think with me. Put your, put your thinking caps on. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, begins in a garden that is called Paradise. In the middle of that garden, there are the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelations, written some 1,500 years later, you end up with the paradise of God, and there once again is a tree of life that the writer calls the tree that is there for the healing of all the nations. Consider this. In Genesis... Man is driven out of the garden because of his sin, and he is driven out of the garden to keep him from eating of the tree that would have sealed his physical and spiritual death. In Revelation, 1,500 years later, the last book, man is invited to partake of the tree that symbolizes eternal life from which the curse of sin and death is removed. Consider this. In Genesis... A river flows from the garden. In Revelations, a river flows from the throne of God. 1,500 years later, in writing, consider this. There is, if you will, a golden thread throughout every 66 book of the Bible with one common theme. The golden thread that runs throughout Scripture is known as the thread of redemption through the blood. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of the Lamb. In the New Testament, it was the Lamb of God. And I want to tell you the power of the Word of God is that it is historically reliable because while there were 40 different writers written over 1,500 years, every book has one message. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And would you thank God with me for the power of that Word? But the argument is still there. How do we know that all that the Bible accords and records actually happened? How do we know that the Bible is either fact or fable? How do we really know that there was a Moses in the Red Sea? How do we really know that there was a Goliath and David killed him? How do we really know there was a Daniel who went to the lion's den and God rescued him? How do we really know there was a Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead after the third day and is our Savior? What reasons do we have to believe the Bible? Now, admittedly, nobody can prove or disprove what has taken place in the past 100% accurately. All we can do is give you the evidence I can't actually prove to you this morning that there really was a man by the name of George Washington who served as the first president of the United States. 
All I can do is give you the evidence. I, I, can, I can show you his picture on money, but I, I can't produce 100% accuracy that that's him. Now, now, when you think about historical reliability of the Bible, there are two things I want you to consider. Not only about the Bible, but ancient writings. But we're talking about the Bible. Number one, the trustworthiness of any ancient historical account is based on the evidence of that account. Number two, the evidence must come from documents and manuscripts. You know now, and of course you've always known this, that many years ago, even a hundred years ago, there were not tape recorders and DVDs and video equipments and television to record actual live footage of what was taking place as there is now. Therefore, we must have documents and manuscripts to confirm the writings of ancient literature as well as the Word of God. Now, Bible critics like to point out that we don't have access to the original documents penned by biblical writers. They like to point out that we don't have the original manuscripts that were first written when all these things took place. So they ask, how do we know we have the right stuff? How do we know that Jesus even existed? How do we know that we are reading actual historical events and not made up myths? We are, after all, relying on accounts 2,000 years ago. Well, I'm glad you asked. Most of us here in the course of our high school, maybe college years or some educational experience, have heard of the names of such people like Julius Caesar, Plato, and Homer. Some of you might even studied Homer's Iliad because we, in school, were made to read some literature so we can appreciate it. Have you ever heard anyone questioning the existence of these historical figures I just mentioned? No professor of literature ever declared that Caesar was no more real than Mickey Mouse or that Plato or Homer never existed. They just make that assumption. Professors of literature and teachers of English literature, they... Lead us to believe that these assumed to be historical figures and literary works that are about them are very real. And yet when you go back and explore the evidence of them, the evidence we have of their literary works have rarely shaky authenticity compared to the Bible. But let me see if I can explain have you ever thought about how many copies of manuscripts we have of the ancient writing of these men and how close in time these documents are to the one it's written about? Think about it. Have you ever thought about what the time span is between the copies that we have of the original documents of these names I mentioned and the time that they actually lived? But let me see if I can... Even be more plain. Julius Caesar. The earliest manuscripts we have of him exist 1,000 years after he lived. And there are only 10 manuscripts of that. Plato, common name in literature. The earliest manuscripts we have of him 
exists 1,300 years after he lived, and we only have seven manuscripts of him. Homer, the earliest manuscripts we have of him, exist 500 years after he lived, and there are 643 manuscripts about him. But I want you to consider this, and I put it on the screen so you can know it. There are over 24,000 partial and full Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. The earliest one dating from just 35 years after the book of Revelation was written. The number of manuscripts we have supporting the New Testament alone is almost 40 years, the number, 40 times, pardon me, the number of manuscripts supporting the writings of Julius Caesar, Plato, Homer combined. What are you saying to us, Pastor? I am saying to you that there are more historical documents and manuscripts to support the Word of God from the original Hebrew in the Old Testament to the original Greek in the New Testament than any other ancient writing in the world. Somebody ought to help me praise the Lord for the reliability of the Word of God. I'm going to teach a little bit more, just a little bit more here if you will, please. Some years ago, I think it was 1947, some shepherds on the area of the Dead Sea, in the area of the Dead Sea in Israel, in an area known as Qumran, and their shepherd wandering through the caves and caverns of that dry area, came across earthen jars, large numbers of earthen jars of scrolls and manuscripts that after they were taken to proper authorities, they were found, they were called later the Dead Sea Scrolls, to be scrolls and manuscripts, original documents that date back all the way from 150 years before Jesus Christ. I'm saying to you that the documents were written 150 years before Christ, yet from the last event of the Old Testament, they were only 200 years old, and they contained full manuscripts of some of the books of the Bible, especially Isaiah. I'm again telling you, brothers and sisters, that the Word of God is historically reliable, and while you may not have been there back then, if you've been changed by the power of God, you know His Word is alive. Help me praise Him again. i got to hurry. I, I can't mention about history without telling you about archaeological findings that confirm the truth of the Bible. Many accounts in the Bible that are historically documented. Many critics have said it just never happened. It couldn't have happened. And yet there are numbers of books about how archaeology confirms biblical content. I'll give you one example. The city of Jericho. All of us have probably heard about the story of how Joshua won the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. We all have some knowledge that God told Joshua that the first city they were to conquer in the land of milk and honey would be Jericho, but they wouldn't have to fight for it. They just have to praise for it. <laughs> it's amazing what praising can do. You, you see, oh, here I go preaching Jericho now. 
These Israelites had been wandering in the wilderness before they crossed the river Jordan in the promised land for 40 years. They were not warriors. They were not fighters. They, they were not people of, of, of the skills of fighting. So they had to learn to do that. But God said, if you listen to my word, and if you'll march around the city the first six days, Jericho, one time a day, and on the seventh day, if you'll march around the city and take the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulder of the priest, and take some people from the choir, and have some of the instruments blow their horn, and have the choir sing, and on the seventh day, you do that seven times, I'll take care of this city. Did it happen? Can somebody praise the Lord? The Bible says, and the seventh day they marched around seven times. And when Joshua said, blow the trumpet, they blow the horn. The people shouted. And the walls that were very wide and very thick, two walls around the city, came falling down by the power of praising God. But, but Bible critics say uh, two reasons why that couldn't happen. Number one. Walls don't fall down flat because somebody walks around them. And the critics say the Israelites could not have marched around the city seven times in one day because it was too large. Some time ago, Professor John Gostang, a British archaeologist, excavated the site of the city of Jericho And he discovered that the walls of the city had fallen so completely that the attackers were able to climb over the rubble and into the city. Now, why is that so important? Because the evidence showed the walls collapsed outward. Listen to this. It It don't take a nuclear physicist to figure this out. After the excavation, the archaeological findings showed the walls fell outward. People attacking a city, if they were attacking it, would push the wall in. Lest if they pushed, pull them this way, as blittering idiots, the wall would fall on them. I feel a, what? I can tell you didn't feel it, man. You got to wake up. I got to tease Pastor Darrell. This is his whoop glory. And that's about all you're going to get for him. And I'm teasing. And not only that, I've been. In 1999, I had the opportunity to go to the site of Jericho. How many of you have traveled to the Holy Land? Raise your hands. If you have traveled, you're blessed to have gone. I don't know whether your tour guide or people took you there. But I was privileged to go to the site of Jericho. Actually, the site of ancient Jericho, the city, is, only, is less than 70 acres in size. And therefore, you know, the critics who say that it's impossible for this miracle to happen because it would have taken more than one day or a longer time for people to march around the wall is a fallacy. The only 70 acres in dimension. They, the people who marched around the wall seven times on the seventh day could have got up early and by lunchtime they could have had it marched around seven times. You've come too late to tell me this word is not the word of God. Somebody praise him. Oh, oh, help me, Jesus. Okay, I got to hurry. The Bible is scientifically correct. Let me me see if I can make a case for this. You know, many, many years ago, people studying the earth and geography and the shape of the world believed that the world was flat and not round and circular. Christopher Columbus, who discovered America, did not believe the world was flat. He believed it was round. 
He believed that he could sail to the Indies and make his destination, which he left from the country of Spain, but he could always sail around the world and come back to Spain. But many were saying, you're crazy, man. You keep sailing that way, you'll fall off the edge of the earth. And, and Christopher Columbus said this about his decision to believe that the world was round before he took off on his journey. He wrote in his personal diary, for the execution for the voyage to the Indies, he was hoping to find India, for the execution for the voyage to the Indies, I did not make use of intelligence, mathematics, or maps. It is simply the fulfillment of what Isaiah had prophesied. What did Isaiah prophesy that caused Christopher Columbus to be a believer before he started sailing? Isaiah said in 40:22, He, God, sits enthroned above the, what? The circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He, God, stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. And so Columbus just simply believed the Word of God. And sure enough, he didn't sail off the earth. Scientifically correct. Let, let me give you something else. How about the weather? How about the study of what we call meteorology? And meteorologists who study the weather. What about science and the weather? You would expect the master meteorologist, God himself, to know far more than the television weatherman. Years ago, scientists thought that winds blew only in a straight direction. That's it. Of course, meteorologists now know that wind travel in circuits that they call the jet stream. You ever heard of it? Yeah, you have. God's Word spoke about how the weather works long before Jesus came. Because the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1 and 6, the wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. I'm telling you, the, before scientists agreed with the facts of nature recorded in the book, it was already in the book. I got. <laughs> uh, I'm running out of time. What, what about what about this business of disease and how disease may be contagious or spread? For many years, doctors, in their best intentions, in an effort to help their patients, serve the patient from patient without washing hands. Many people died at the hands of doctors, not because doctors were trying to kill them, but because the very germs were on their hands that would inflict the patient with another disease or suffering. Later on, doctors began to wash their hands in still water. And still the mortality rate among patients was very high. And then eventually as they moved on, they began to realize that germs can be dormant in still water. And still can be contagious. So they elected to wash their hands in running water. And, and they'll tell you now, can I get it, can I get an amen? They'll tell you now to, to, to your own personal hygiene, wash your hands and, and always wash your hands and always do it in running water. 
Now, where did they get this idea? Well, it's long in the book of Leviticus. The Bible talks about disease and about the cleansing process. And I have it on the screen. Leviticus 15 and 13. And the last part of it says, And he should bathe his body in running water that he shall be clean. Just, just giving you the facts, ma'am. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not beating up on the doctors, okay? I just George Washington, the first president of the United States of America, died of pneumonia and severe blood loss. Severe blood loss, perhaps due to one of the most common practices of doctors to cure illnesses back then, and that was to attach leeches, leeches to the body of people suffering with certain diseases so they could bleed the disease out. Just like they try to purge our blood, etc. Which is a good thing, but they thought the, the, the leeches would suck the poison out of the blood. But little did they realize what the Bible had already said about blood. Leviticus 17 and 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Can I get an amen here? And, and I won't get to tell you all of this. I'll just close with this. There are other facts. Prophetically, historically, scientifically, the Word of God is reliable, accurate, and dependable. But this is the bottom line. The Word of God is personally transforming. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. I don't know how it works. But somehow, by the preaching of the Word, and sometimes by the yelling of the Word. Somewhere you heard it. And it pricked your conscience and your spirit. Somewhere you heard it. And you thought, I do not want to be left behind Jesus comes. I don't want to die in my sin. I don't want to lust anymore. I don't want to lie anymore. I don't want to cheat or cuss anymore. Somewhere you heard it in a song or on TV or read it in another book or you read the Bible because I can't figure it out. There is something supernatural and anointing about the book of God that's different from all other books in the world. It won't just get in your head. It will get in your heart. And if you let it, it will change your life. Put the next bullet up for me, Rachel. All of them. Put them all up. I can't preach it. I don't have the time. But the Word of God convicts of sin. The Word of God has the power to regenerate your life. The Word of God has the power to produce faith in God. The Word of God has power to cleanse us from our sins. The Word of God has power to build us up when we're feeling down. The Word of God has wisdom like no other word has. The Word of God gives assurance of eternal life. Peace in the time of storm. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. I am a product of the Word of God. I am a product of the Word of God. On an evening, 
on his way home from, church, from, from a cinema, a movie theater show. My father, who was then, of course, single and belonged to the Hindu faith or professed the Hindu faith, was coming home from an entertainment event at a cinema. And on the way home in the little island of Trinidad, where I was born, that is 65 miles long and 35 miles wide, he heard a street preacher preaching about Jesus. He heard the Word of God. Never heard the Word of God before. He worshipped the sun. He worshipped the moon. He worshipped the cow. He worshipped the monkey. He worshipped brazen idol images. He would take as part of the Hindu uh, worship rites. Uh, they would pour milk over statues and animals of their uh, statues of animals or of their god. Maybe an elephant head on a man's body, and, and they would somehow, by their ritualization, drink the milk. They would get up in the morning and pour out rice to the sun in a large tray, standing on one foot, sift rice to the sun god because they had to make sure they cross all their T's and dot all their eyes, or they might displease their god. And when they die, they go through reincarnation and if they did bad in their life they have to go through numbers of reincarnations to even get to come back to be an animal but he heard the word of God and he said to the preacher I'm not making it up I'm telling you my dad is 82 years old he'll be preaching at his church this morning he asked the street preacher can you tell me more about this Jesus? The preacher said, if you'll come to my house tomorrow, I told him where it was, I'll tell you more. Oh, there was something about Dad said he couldn't wait from the time he asked the preacher that evening to the next day. May God help us in America. We got so used to the Word. We know more about the TV Guide and National Enquirer and Reader's Digest than we hunger for the Word of God. Give us a new passion. Stand up, everybody. Stand up, everybody. Oh, help me, Jesus. The next day, Dad went to the preacher. The preacher took the Bible and told him about Jesus. Figure the math. I, I can't figure it. He was 17. He's 82 now. And today he will preach about the same Jesus. My dad has preached all over the island and many parts of the United States and different parts of the world. Because the Word of God. My, my mother got saved. She didn't even know my dad. But she heard the gospel. She was a Hindu. Got saved. My father was kicked out of his home where his mother and father lived because he got saved. My mother was scolded by her grandmother and grandparents. Forbidden to get saved. But she sneaked away from the house and got water baptized. You know it's the Word of God when you're sneaking around wanting to do good. Can I get an amen? We, we, we sneak around wanting to do bad, but you know it takes the power of God for you to hide so you can read your Bible. The Word of God. In China, in the underground church, I'm not asking you to do this. We've got enough Bibles, so don't do it. But they tear the Bible sheet by sheet and page by page, and they disperse it among themselves. And they go home and recite it, memorize it to the next meeting time, and then they exchange pages. In China, that's going on. Did, did you hear what I'm saying? Why? Because they just want a piece of paper? No, because when they read it, 
the cloud of communism is still there, but the glory of the face of Jesus comes through it. Bow your heads, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't have a lot of time. There's another service coming. And I just need to tell you that in my poor effort this morning to convince you, I'm going to just trust God to let the word be like a dry seed in the ground when the rain falls. I wish I could save every single one of you. I, I wish I could give you a prescription. You take it and swallow it and you got eternal life. But I got something better than a prescription. Got the power of the Word of God. Pastor, I tried, but I can't try again. Try one more time. So I'm telling you, the same book that can transform your life says, There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is a way of death. The Bible says that broad is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. I don't know when you're going to die and I don't know when Jesus is going to come. But I'm telling you, we both all of that is on borrowed time. You're living on borrowed time and we're living on grace. And if you're not ready, if you don't answer to this word today, you'll answer to it by and by. Everybody in the sound of my voice will answer to the word. Put your head bowed and eyes closed. Say, Pastor, I'm not ready to die. Not according to the Bible and my eternal soul's destination. I want to be sure that I believe the word and has changed my life. If that's you with your hands lifted up for a moment, I want to pray for you. Not singularly or not publicly, but I want to be sure. Hold it up. Yes, there are numbers of hands. Hold it up in Jesus' name. Come on. I'm asking for a response, not for me. I'm asking for you, for you. There should be some Christians praying with me now. Because the whole, oh, put, put your hands down. Look at me, everybody. Look at, look at me. I know I didn't preach an evangelistic sermon. But there's been a stirring among us lately, among our prayer team and among the leadership of this church, that we're getting too used to too many empty altars. Y'all didn't hear me. If I just wanted to preach, I, I could just do it someplace else and, some, and, just, and just make it really easy on myself. But I'm here to tell you, I don't come up here every Sunday morning just because I want to hear myself yell and see you respond. I'm here to tell you that there is a place called heaven and there is a place called hell. And, and there is a truth called the Word of God. And our sons and our daughters and our husband and our wife and our sons-in-laws. And I know I'm going longer to tell you, we're getting too used to naked altars. You think what you want to about me. But the more I read it, the more I want to read it. I'm telling you, I'm not doing this because you're kind enough to give me a paycheck as your pastor. I'm doing this because it's changed my life. And I, I, uh, there are marriages going to hell in a handbasket and folks just stand there in church just like this. As if I'm not talking to them. As if to say, I'm not as bad a sinner as they are so I'll keep my hands down. I'm not mad. Yes, I am mad. And I'm not mad at you. But some of the same ones of you will go to a psychiatrist or you'll go to, you'll go to some psychologist and you'll get some kind of herbs or some kind of junk or read some kind of voodoo or some kind of horoscope and not one time go to God. I'm not mad, but I am mad. Wake up, church. 
It's time for the church to wake up and not just the pastor. Every one of us need to repent. Every one of us, me included, we need to repent. And if in the next hour and a half you can go to Golden Corral or Charlie's and take your fork and, and take your knife and cut your food and be more excited about that than the Word of God, shame on us. Shame on us for coming here to want... Oh, God, help me out. I want everybody to raise their hands and repent. I'm going to repent with you. I don't care what time it is. I don't care what the parking lot looks like. I'm tired of worrying every Sunday about pleasing people. I want to please God. I want to please God. Maybe you'll get out of the chair and come to the altar for whatever reason. Maybe you'll just come on out and say, before I leave, I need to spend a minute in the altar or somewhere. Raise your hands. Come on. I don't need no singers this morning. I just need people to praise God. I just need people to help me pray for revival. In a moment, I may need singers, but I don't need any help but Jesus. Come on, raise up your voice in crying out. I don't have to tell you what baggage you have. You don't have to tell me. God, I repent. God, I repent. I repent. I repent for trying to help the Word when the Word doesn't need any help. I repent, oh God, for lifting myself up when I don't need to be lifted up. Jesus does. I repent for sometimes preaching one thing and doing something else. I repent. Wake us up, oh God. These are the last days. Get us back to the Word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh God, let the power of your word transform me. Let the power of your word transform the church. Let the power of your word transform the staff and the elders of this church. I'm not hearing you pray. God, let the power of the word transform the choir and the praise team and the band and the ushers. Let the power of your word transform the hospitality team and the parking attendants and the nursery workers and the youth workers and children's ministry. The altar. Jesus. 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 Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my, my, my. If you need Christ, you need to be born again. Somebody will wait for you at the altar. Give him praise with me. Come on, give him praise with us. You are great. Sing it one time. Sing it before you go. There is no
try it. I, uh, I don't want you to leave here with the assumption that I'm mad at you. I just want you to know the breakthrough comes from this. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to make a confession to you that I'm going to wrestle with after I do it. I don't know the last time I struggled to preach like I did this morning. I don't know the last time I've struggled so hard to bring the word. It was, and now I know why. Because I know the power of the truth. I know that the devil, he'll give, the devil will go easy on me in my private study. I must have gone over this sermon without exaggeration. Ten times before I came to bring it to you. And I thought the battle would be in the study, but the battle was on the pulpit because I know the power of the word. And now I'm even more determined than I've ever been in my life to press through hell to rescue. Have a great day. God bless you as you go.